and speed of God. Good morning, Lakeview Church. Hey, we don't often do this because what they do up here is not a performance. Uh, they're leading us in worship by worshiping in front of us, and we get to join them. But can we express our appreciation to the team that led us this morning in worship? And Sierra, holy cow, that was amazing. What a song. Yeah, let's, let's just express some appreciation to Sierra. What you don't know is that Sierra is like a glutton for punishment. So she actually has led a play for CSA this year. And then this, just this last week on Tuesday night, she had kindergarten through fifth grade do a program right here on this stage. And if you've worked with kindergartners through fifth graders, trying to get them to all look the same way at the same time and actually have lines that tell the Christmas story, amazing. And then Wednesday night, rehearsal for what she just did on the stage. And then Thursday, another program event at the school that she was in charge of leading. And then Sunday morning here, leading us in worship. That is just above and beyond Sierra. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah, let's just express our appreciation one more time. So good. It is so good for me to be back with you up on this stage. Matt McAdams was asking, is it good to be behind the table again? Yes, Matt, it is good to be behind the table again. Um, so good to be with you. I have uh, the last few weeks been doing a lot of different stuff, and uh, not the least of which is graduating from my doctoral program. So that is off the list. So... And then last night, uh, well, yesterday morning, my son graduated from college, which makes me feel just a little bit older than I felt yesterday when I woke up. Um, so, uh, and then last night, we just had a wonderful time of celebrating with him and some friends of ours, uh, just this milestone in his life. And then this morning, we were up early. My daughter was heading to the airport to fly out uh, to see her significant other. We'll say it that way, her significant other, uh, out in Colorado. And so uh, she'll be spending time with his family for the next few days. So we just had a lot going on, and I've been kind of busy. And it is just good for me this morning to just be able to be in front of you to share God's word. And I'm excited to do that. Uh, so we're going to dig in uh, here in just a moment. But I want to take just a quick moment to just say, if this is your first time here, or if you're newer around here, maybe you've been coming for a few weeks and you haven't uh, filled out the communication card yet, I want to just in invite you and ask you to just do me a personal favor that you would fill that out. And that's true for everybody who's in the room, and it's true for those you who are joining us online. We would just love for you to fill out the communication card. What that does is that helps us know who you are so that we can connect with you and serve you more effectively, and that's exactly what we want to do. So if you are newer around here or today is your very first Sunday, just take out your phone and text the word WELCOME to 765-222-5937. Again, that's 765-222-5937, or 
If you got a handout when you walked in this morning, you can just scan that QR code uh, right on the front, and that will take you right to the communication card. And again, we just want to invite you to fill that out. And if you're here in the room and you fill that out today, we would invite you to go back to our welcome center right back there at the in the lobby. And we've got a gift that we've prepared, and we would love to share that with you today. If you're joining us online and you fill out the communication card, don't worry, we'll get the gift to you later this week. And you can consider that our Christmas gift to you uh, if you get that this week at home. So uh, we are so excited if you are new here to have you with us, and we just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. Now we're heading in to Christmas week. So if you haven't done the shopping yet, or maybe even haven't started the shopping, this may be write down a note to yourself. Time is getting short. So just know Christmas is coming. When we gather next Sunday, we will have already unwrap the gifts and you will not have time to shop at that point. So uh, consider yourself warned. Um, so get your shopping done. Christmas is coming. We've got all these traditions that we engage in. Uh, I don't know if you guys have kind of a list of things that you do around the holidays. Um, I know for me, like I will sometime this week, I will make uh, no-bake cookies. Uh, my grandfather used to make these uh, chocolate oatmeal no-bake cookies and uh, I have his recipe, and it's one of the ways that I remember him at the holidays. I just kind of clear everybody out of the kitchen, and I just, I just make the cookies, and then they eat them, right? Um, and, and so that's one of the things that I always do around Christmas time. I make those cookies, and, and we've got some Christmas movies, you know, like we've already watched Elf, Right? I mean, that's like you got to do that to start the holiday season and White Christmas. And then there's some, you know, Hallmark films that my wife wants to watch, and they all end the same. <laughs> she doesn't believe me, but I tell her as soon as it starts, you want me to tell you how this one ends? And so we watch these movies, and, and we enjoy them. And, and then we have kind of certain foods that we make and certain things that we do as a family on Christmas morning. We have a particular way that we kind of do things, and we open the stockings first, and we kind of spend time doing that. And then we, uh, we go to the tree, and we open our gifts, and there's always cinnamon rolls. And we just, we just have certain traditions that we engage in, and, and, and you probably have yours as well. One of the traditions that I think has just, I think it was actually handed down to me by my mother, is that at some point around the week or so around Christmas, we go to the movies. Now, this is not just a tradition at Christmas. I, I'll go to the movies five times a week. I, I just love going to the movies. I'll see the same movie again just to go to the movies. I just love the movie theater. Don't ask me why. It's probably because that's something my mom and I did together. And she would always want to go see the latest movie that was coming out. And so we would go get our big bucket of popcorn. And that's just a tradition I want to carry on. I mean, you got to pass it down to the next generation, right? And so, so we always find a way to go to the movies. And we do that around Christmas for a couple of reasons. One is we tend to have a little more free time. Because we're off from work and the kids are, they have a break for school and so we kind of have some time in our days and so we get our well-used AMC popcorn bucket out of the cabinet and we go to the movie theater. And we buy our tickets and, and we go in and we watch these movies and, and it's a great time because there's a lot of new movies that come out around Christmas. Even just this week, Spider-Man dropped. 
right? Some of you have already been to see it. Some of you have been to see it twice. It's okay. You can admit it. We have recovery groups for people like you. It's going to be fine. Like, um, you know, we go see these movies, and, and, and West Side Story, they're doing a remake of that. That's coming out here pretty soon. And, and so there's all of these great movies that come out around Christmas, and so we go and we see them. And, and just this week, as I said, Spider-Man came out. Now, I haven't seen it yet because I'm waiting to see it with all of my family. And so we're going to go see it at some point this next week, and, and we'll go. So if you've seen it, please, no spoilers. Okay, just keep it to yourself. Here's the thing, when you go to, to, a, to a Marvel movie, right, you go see Spider-Man, you go see Iron Man, you go see The Eternals, whatever movie you go to see, when you go to see it, that movie in and of itself is a self-contained story. You can go into the movie theater knowing nothing about Marvel, and you can sit down and you can watch that movie, and, and you'll get engaged in the story. It's immersive. It will draw you in, and there's action, and there's a plot, and it pulls you right into the story, and you're in that story. And the plot will unfold, and the issues will be resolved, and the movie will end. And for those of you who know nothing about Marvel, when the movie ends, you'll leave. But if you know something about Marvel, you'll stay because later in the credits, they're going to give you some post-credit scenes. And some of you right now are like, what? Yes, there are actual scenes during and after the credits in Marvel movies, so you got to stay with it. And, and if, if you don't know anything about Marvel, the movie will end, you'll leave, you'll go home, and you'll say, that was entertaining. That was engaging, that was exciting, that was action-packed. But there will be other people who will be watching that movie in the theater with you, and they're going to have aha moments in the movie that you won't have. And the reason is because they know the bigger story. You see, there's this thing called the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic universe. And what this universe entails is all of these movies that have come out in recent years that, that tell individual stories, but they're really part of one big story that in order to understand what that little story is really about, you kind of have to understand the big story. And so, again, you can go and you can watch a movie. It'll be entertaining. It'll be engaging. It'll be immersive for you. But when the movie is over, you're going to walk out and move on with your life. But people who watch Marvel movies in the MCU, they are trying to piece together all of the bits of information, not just from the movie they just watched, but from the other 20 movies. And the TV shows that go along with it. And they're trying to figure out where this character was introduced and how this movie develops that character to the next stage in their journey. And, and they understand the big picture. So that little story has more meaning and it has more significance because they understand the big story. I think when we come to the Christmas story, some of us see it is a really engaging story. It's endearing. It's got a warmth about it. And it might even be 
considered by some of us to be entertaining. But if we don't understand the bigger story in which the Christmas story is situated, we're going to miss some of the significance of what's happening in that story because we don't know how it fits with the bigger picture. Again, the Christmas story, it's incredibly engaging. It's a, a story of, that gives the appearance of scandal. Right? We've got a, an unwed teenage girl. She's engaged to be married, and all of a sudden, she finds out she's pregnant. And the person she's engaged to knows that it's not his child. There's an appearance of scandal in this story. And in fact, Joseph in the story is going to put her away because that's the right thing to do. It's the respectful thing to do to say, you know what? Engagement is off. You've obviously been with someone else and you're not choosing to be with me. And so we're just going to call this off. He could have done that. And yet God comes to Joseph in a dream and reveals to Joseph, no, you should take Mary to be your wife. And the child that she's going to have, that child is the son of God. And you ought to you ought to just raise that child as your own. And so Joseph decides to stay with her. He decides to marry her. It's a story that's got this sense of enduring love and commitment because of that reality, right? There's this appearance of scandal, but Joseph is going to stick it out. He's going to stay with her. He's going to keep his commitment to her faithfully. And then there's this sense of intrigue that kind of unrolls in this story because those who are in the government, those who are in positions of authority, they hear about the birth of this child and, and they understand something of the importance of this child's birth. They're plotting with worshipers, people who are on their way to worship the child. They're actually plotting with them to figure out a way to eliminate this child from the face of the earth. And so, again, God comes to Joseph in a dream, and Joseph realizes that he needs to get Mary and baby Jesus out of that town and into a foreign land where they will stay until it is safe for them to return home and come back to Nazareth. It's, it's a good story. I mean, it's got all the makings of an entertaining, endearing, and engaging story that we might want to read, but it's not just one story. It's a little story inside of a big story that God has been writing since the beginning of time and it will carry until he calls everything on this earth to an end. And right in the middle is this story we know as the Christmas story. And so as I thought about what we could talk about on this last Sunday before Christmas, I thought we could take several hours and go through the entire story of the Bible so that you would understand the significance of the Christmas story inside of the Bible. So if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to start there. Now, we're not going to take several hours. Some of you are like, is he serious right now? No, I am not serious. We're going to take just a few minutes and I'm going to try to tell you the entire story of the Bible in four parts. And I think by understanding these four parts, which I'm going to kind of give to you in one word phrases so that you'll understand what that part is about and what it's focused on. And we'll kind of outline the entire Bible in these four major parts or movements of the story. 
And then I want to end by positioning the Christmas story right where it belongs as the hinge point, the, the middle moment of the story where everything changes. So in all seriousness, we are going to start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, because part one of the story is creation, right? God, at the very beginning, creates, and that's what we read in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to just say that I think in our world right now, we are forgetting who the creator is. And because we're forgetting who the creator is, we are not playing by the creator's rules. We have decided to get rid of the creator in the story, and now we're writing our own rules. And the thing is, it's not our game. So we should stop trying to write new rules for what God has established. And we ought to just discover what his rules are, and we ought to live by those. And there's like 10 sermons in that little phrase right there, but I'm going to just stop there because this is the Sunday before Christmas and we got other stuff to do. But man, we got to go back and recognize God as creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if we keep reading Genesis 1, what we find is that God creates the land and the sea. He creates the sun, the moon, the stars. He, he creates the plants on the ground and the vegetation. And then he puts birds in the air and animals on the ground. And he puts fish in the sea. And everything has been created. And at every point in the creation story, he says, it was good. After he creates the sun, moon, and the stars, he says, that's good. Man, that's good. And he creates the, the fish that swim in the sea. And he says, man, that is good. That is good. And he gets all of the things created that he's going to create. And he's done creating all of the stuff of this world. And then, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he kind of goes a different direction, a new direction. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. 26, I'm going to read 26, 27, and 31. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. This is the first time and only time in the creation narrative where the text says, very good. Everything else he created was good. But when he created human beings in his image, he stepped back from creation and looked at the whole picture and realized it was now finally and fully completed. And he said, it is very good. Here's what I want you to know about Genesis chapter 1 and the creation narrative. God created the world so he could create human beings. God created the world so he could create human beings. God wasn't just being creative, though he is very creative. And he wasn't just expressing himself, though in creation God expresses himself. 
God wasn't just showing off or having fun or bored one day and looking for something to do. No, God created the world with intention and with purpose. He created everything just as it is, and then he created human beings to live right in the middle of that world. And why would a God who needs nothing want to create a context for relationships? Why would God do that? He certainly doesn't need us. He is completely self-sufficient by himself. And yet, he wanted to create human beings in his image. Why? Because he wanted someone to live in relationship with. He wanted someone to live in in relationship with. This is why when he makes the world, he puts human beings in it. Let's make man in our image. And so male and female, he created them in his own image just to be like him. And then he begins to relate to them. You say, how do you see that in the book of Genesis? Well, we know as we read Genesis that God would come in the cool of the day and he would take a walk with the first human beings. I mean, think about that. The God of the universe, creator of all that is, would just come and say, let's go for a walk. And then they would walk together through the garden and just observe all of the beauty that God had created. God invited human beings into the stewardship of the world. He said, you guys take care of what I've created. I created it, I'll sustain it, but you guys take care of it. Give names to all the animals. Figure all that out. Watch over it. Take care of it. Why? Because God was inviting them to be in partnership with him. Because God is all about relationships. It's all about relationships. This is why in Jesus' ministry, when he was asked, what are the two most important commandments? Actually, they just said, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus said, well, there are two. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Isn't it interesting that Jesus summarized all of the law and the commandments with two commandments, and they're both relationship-oriented? Because what God cares about is relationship. God created the world and he created human beings to live in relationship. That's what it's all about. And it was all about that until we get to the second part of the story. The second part of the story is where Adam and Eve, the first human beings, decide to disobey God. God said, all of this beautiful garden that I've given to you. It's yours. Take care of it. Watch over it. Protect it. Help it flourish. Nurture it. But whatever you do, just don't eat from this tree. Just don't eat from that. You can have anything else. It's all yours. Sometimes people think that the rules God sets are restrictive, but that's not a restrictive rule. That's incredibly freeing. You can do anything you want. Just don't do this. And then the serpent comes and says, hey, what did God say to you? Oh, he said, don't eat from that. Oh, well, 
Let me tell you why God told you not to eat of it. And, and the serpent takes God's words and twists them. Incidentally, a lot of this is happening in our culture right now. We don't want to submit to God's word, so we just twist it. And that's a trick of the enemy. It always has been and it always will be until he is finally defeated. To just take God's word and twist it. That's what the serpent did with Eve. And so Eve said, yeah, it can't be that bad to eat this fruit. And she eats the fruit. And then she plays the role of the serpent for Adam. You should eat this fruit. And because Adam wants to have a happy wife, he eats the fruit. He's not dumb. He's thinking to himself, she ate the fruit and she liked it. It can't be that bad. I want to stay in good graces with her. I'm going to eat the fruit. He eats the fruit. And when they eat the fruit, what happens immediately is separation. God created human beings for relationship, to be in relationship with each other and to be in relationship with God. And when human beings sinned, what happened is separation. The relationships were broken in that moment. We know this because for the very first time, Adam and Eve feel shame. They, they actually begin to become self-conscious and self-aware in a way that says, I am not worthy to be in relationship with you. I'm going to now hide myself from you. And not only were they going to hide themselves from each other, but they decided to hide themselves from God. So when God comes to the garden and says, hey, let's go for a walk, he can't find them. Of course, he knows where they're at because he's God, but they're hiding from God. Why are they hiding? Because the relationship has been broken, and now there's separation. Separation between Adam and Eve and their God. Separation between Adam and Eve as husband and wife. Separation between Adam and Eve and the world in which they live. Right? They have shame in their lives. They're hiding from one another. They're hiding from God. And after their sin, God says, hey, this garden that's been so beautiful, guess what? Thorns are going to grow in it now. Thanks a lot, Adam and Eve. Would have been so much easier to have a garden if they hadn't messed things up in Genesis chapter 1. Because now, keeping a garden requires work, labor. There was separation between God and creation, between the created beings, and between the created beings and the world in which they live. Creation to separation. That's what sin does in our lives. It separates us from a relationship with God. If you look at the text in Genesis chapter 3, Verses 6 and 7, this is what you read. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at the nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. 
Verse 8, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. You see, when sin entered the world, it separated human beings from relationship. Their relationship with God, their relationship with each other, and their relationship with the world. That's what sin does. It puts distance between us and God, and it puts distance between us and other people. So what is God going to do about this? He created the world for relationships where we live together in relationship with one another and with him, but sin has entered the world, and it's separated us from God. So what's God going to do? Well, God acts to reconcile us to himself. And that's the third part of the story, reconciliation. Creation, separation, reconciliation. You see, when God looks down at a broken world, a a world marred by sin that isn't living up to what he intended, where when God intended us to be in relationship, our sin has separated us. God says, what am I going to do? Am I going to just get rid of the whole thing and just call it a failed experiment? Or am I going to redeem it? God chooses to act in that moment to redeem the world. And we're going to come back and talk about the the pivotal moment in the story, but you already know what it is. God becomes flesh, becomes one of us so that he could reconcile us back into relationship. This is the work of Jesus. This is the reason that Jesus came. And we read about this in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, the passage that was read for us earlier, and I'm going to focus in on verses 17 and 18. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Now, we've talked about this before this, earlier this fall when we were in the book of Romans and we talked about the fact that there were really two main groups of people that Paul was writing to in the book of Romans, right? He's writing to Jews and he's writing to Gentiles and they didn't get along so well. They didn't like each other. They, there was a dividing line. In fact, Paul in the book of Ephesians calls it a dividing wall of hostility. They didn't like each other and they didn't get along. And what Paul says Jesus did is he comes into this world and he takes the Jews and he takes the Gentiles and in himself he tears down the dividing wall of hostility and he says not two groups of people, just one new person. Because when Jesus looked at the world, he didn't see different groups and tribes and factions. What he saw was one human race that he wanted to redeem. He saw human beings made in his image, and he said, these are the people that I want to redeem. I want to raise them back up. And so Jesus comes, he tears down the dividing wall of hostility, and he brings people back together again, one human race. And then that one human race He goes to the cross for that one human race, and he gives his life on the cross to save human beings from their sin. And after he died and was raised again and victory was won, he could say, I have reconciled the world to my father. 
And we experience that reconciliation when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he has done for us. So that now we all can be reconciled to the Father through the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Reconciliation. This is the mission of God. And it makes sense, right? When you create something with an intention that it's all about relationships and then sin breaks the relationship, what is God about from that moment forward? He's about restoring the relationship. How do I bring them back together again so that they live in relationship with me and with one another like I intended it to be from the very beginning of time? Creation, separation, reconciliation. And then one final part, restoration. This is the part that we look forward to. Because God will redeem this world. I know sometimes you watch the news and you don't believe it. Sometimes you think about what's going on in our culture and you see how maybe the morality isn't seeming to go the direction we want it to go. And there's violence and there's hatred and there's anger towards other people. There are things that are wrong and broken, things that are unhealthy and dysfunctional, things that don't work like they should. And we look at all of this stuff and we, we sometimes feel as if the world is kind of going in the wrong direction. But I want you to know that God is on the throne. And he is not done in this world. He will redeem this world. Exclamation mark. He will redeem this world. And you say, how in the world do you know that? Because the Bible tells us. And maybe some of you don't believe the Bible is God's word, but I'm going to tell you I do. And so what the Bible says, I believe. And I'm not trying to figure out like, how to live my life apart from that book. I'm trying to let this book dictate how I live my life. And when you get to the end of this book, you read words in the book of Revelation that speak of restoration. Revelation 21, verses 3 through 5, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. Sounds relational, doesn't it? He's going to be right in the middle. God himself will be with them and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All of these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. This is what God is doing. Which is why in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, oh, don't, don't grow weary. Please know your labor in the Lord is never in vain. Why? Because God is working on a project that started before you were ever even thought about. 
And it will carry on long after your life on this earth is over. And that project is the project to redeem humanity and to restore the world so that it becomes everything that God intended for it to be in the very beginning. This is what God is doing. And he will not stop until he is done. This is the, this is the end of the Avengers movie when everything is right again. And if you haven't seen that, you got to watch it so you understand the illustration. Everything gets put right again at the end. This is what God will do. When God returns, everything that's wrong will be made right. Wherever you find injustice in the world, when God returns, justice will reign. Wherever you find wrong in the world, wherever you find unrighteousness in the world, when God returns and fixes everything, that wrong will be made right. Judgment will come upon this earth, and when it comes, it will come in justice and in righteousness. And God will restore everything. He will make everything new again. And just like it was in Genesis, before sin entered the world, where everything was perfect, and God was with his people, God will again make everything right and he will be with his people. Creation, separation, reconciliation, and restoration. And the middle point of this story is the Christmas story. You see, God didn't send his son so we would have a mysterious and miraculous story that we would find engaging and endearing and maybe even a little bit entertaining. He didn't give us the Christmas story so that we could feel warmth at this time of year in our hearts. We might experience all of that, but God gave us the Christmas story because there was a world that was broken and it needed fixed. God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ came and he gave his life for us so that the mission of God to reconcile the world and to ultimately restore it could be fulfilled. This is the turning point of the story. Jesus is the name that is above every name. We were singing it earlier. Right? And, and the kids right now during the month of December, their memory verse is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. And then verse 17, kids should memorize that one too and so should the parents. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world because they were separated from him. No, he sent his son into the world so that the world through him might be saved. This is what God is doing at Christmas. So I want to do what I do with my kids, even when they're all grown up and graduated from college. On Christmas morning, we read the story. And we remember, we remember what Jesus has done for us. So I'm going to read these words of scripture with no explanation. I just want you to hear the story from the Gospels. 
And as you hear the words, would you place them in the big story? God created the world for relationship. We broke the relationship through sin. But God is reconciling us through Jesus. And he will restore the world. Think about that story as you hear these words. I'm going to read from Matthew, from Luke, and then from John, just like we do on Christmas morning. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, and she laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will, be great, that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and all that the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and she thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, 
It was just as the angel had told them. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God and God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He gave, rejected him, but to all who believed him, birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son, Son. John testified about him, far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning, there are some of you in the room and you're already in love with Jesus Christ. He's already your savior. He's your redeemer, your friend. You follow him, you walk with him. And this morning, I hope that this message has inspired your soul as you walk into this Christmas week to just adore him. You know, we sing that Christmas carol every year, you know, oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. And I hope that we're not just thinking about the story as one little story that's endearing, engaging, maybe even a little entertaining and heartwarming as we sing that song. I hope that if that's been the case in the past, that this year, whenever that song comes to mind, it will be an all-out worship moment for you that you will recognize you owe everything you are to the baby in the manger because he came to save you from your sins. And I hope that you'll worship him this Christmas season. But there are some of you in this room this morning, and you don't know Jesus You're not walking with him. You've never made a decision to follow him with all of your heart and all of your soul. Or maybe you're watching online today and and you've never decided that Jesus is going to be the center of your life. But this morning you've heard he's the center of the story and you recognize that you need to follow him. See, I hope that this message today will encourage those of us who are Christians to adore him. But for those of you who are not yet Christians, I hope that this message will encourage you to, will encourage you to accept him. You see, your sin separates you from a relationship with God. 
And there's nothing that you can do to close that gap in your own strength. But Jesus has done for you what you couldn't do for yourself. He didn't come to condemn you. He didn't come to, to judge you. He came to save you, to reconcile you, to bring you back into relationship with your creator. And so this morning, what I want to do is just ask everybody in this room, and even those who are joining online, I just want you to bow your heads for a moment. I just want you to close your eyes. And I just want to give you a moment. For the Christian this is a moment where you personally, right where you're at in this moment, I just want you to offer prayers of adoration and thanksgiving and praise for what Jesus has done for you. May we never forget how wonderful it is that the Word who has always existed became flesh and made His dwelling among us so we could be saved. Give him thanks and give him praise today. And for those of you who are here in this room or you're watching online and you think to yourself, you know what? I need to accept him today. I want to give you a chance to do that. And all I want you to do if you're here in this room is just to raise your hand. Just to lift up your hand and say, yeah, today's my day. I just want to accept him. And if that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up. Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. Anybody raise their hand today? Yeah. Yeah. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? Anybody else? Hey, and you're raising your hand. I can't see it, but, but God can. And so I want to pray for those of you who raised your hand, and I just want to ask God to meet you right where you're at, and to welcome you into his family. To all who believed in him, to those who accepted him, he gave the right to be called children of God. So I pray, Lord, for those who have raised their hands this morning here in this room and at home, God, I pray that you would meet them right where they are in this moment. Lord, the gap that exists between you and them because of sin, help them know in this very moment you have closed that gap. They are now child of God, walking in relationship with you. And this journey is going to unfold for the rest of their lives, but it begins right now in this moment. So let your grace and your presence and your peace wash over them and do your work of saving their souls right now for your glory and your honor. And God, this morning, for all of us in this room who already know you, we just simply want to adore you. So we're going to sing this song right now, and I want you to sing it from the depths of your being and lift him up. So would you stand with me, church, and let's worship the Lord this morning.